They were out of line. Why so? Did they know the man? Did they know the woman? Apparently not. Well, they're out of line. Mind your own damn business. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography, headshots, maybe you need drone footage from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. While you're there, you can also hear previous episodes of this podcast there as well, Radio Days the Podcast. And uh, before I get uh, started and introduce my guest and thank you and all that, I want to give you a brief update on the movie. Uh, I have, uh, I've been saying I have one interview left, but I have uh, two, uh, both from Motown. I'm going to be interviewing Greg Russell and Duke Fakur from The Four Tops, which is very exciting. So once those two interviews are done, should take about four to six weeks. Look for this movie in June of 2022. That's this June. You can expect Radio Days 101 Years of Radio. And if you'd like to help and become a producer for this film, click on the Patreon or PayPal links at ronrobinsonstudios.com or uh, click on the heart icon The heart icon if you're listening to this uh, on the Buzzsprout page. Uh, I want to thank Mark Raymond and, and uh, several others for their continued support of this documentary. Also, I want to thank you for tuning into this podcast. And if you are enjoying this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends. Um, and also, if there's a radio personality or musician that you'd like to hear more about, shoot me an email at ron at ronrobinsonstudios.com. Got a very special show for you today. My guest is known as the queen of talk radio, and I can't argue with that. She has shown time and time again why she has earned that moniker. She's a product of Ann Arbor, Michigan, although she was born in Memphis. She spent some time in, in, in uh, Ann Arbor, uh, and she went back uh, to the uh, to the Delta. She made a career in Mississippi and Tennessee. She's been heard on the air at WJMI, WJSU, OKG, LLK, among several others. And uh, but most prominently since the uh, since eighties, she's worked at uh, WDIA in Memphis. And if you if that sounds familiar, it's the uh, it was America's first black radio station. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. Did I mention that she uh, was inducted into the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome the one and only Bev Johnson. How are you? I'm doing fabulous, Ron. How are you? I am so tickled that you've agreed to be on. I mean, it's, you're kind of a big deal. You're in the Hall of Fame now, and you were inducted in 2019. That had to be a thrill. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yes, it was. It was very cool. It's still cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, first, let me say, uh, as I mentioned, it's an honor to have you on this podcast, and in my movie, for that matter. I went to Memphis, and I inter- interviewed you and a couple others for Radio Days, 101 Years of Radio. Um, again, that'll be released this June. Uh, one of the stories that I tell in this movie uh, was the impact that Motown and Stax Record had on those early days of Top 40. Most know about the history of Motown, especially my listeners here in the Detroit area. But, Bev, a lot of people don't know about Stax Records. I, I know I'm going to cover it in the movie, but could you talk a little bit about Stax Records and the impact that they had on those early days of, of radio? Oh, my goodness. You know, Stax, I, I, I always say this, Ron, and, and, and growing up in Ann Arbor, being born in Memphis, and and I remember the summers coming home to Memphis, back and forth, and in the neighborhood I lived in, 
was Stax Records. And it's now, you know, called Soulsville, USA. Right. And Stax Records had an impact on the South. I'm telling you, it, it was huge. And 926 East Macklemore, that's the address, College in Macklemore. And a matter of fact, Ron, they put the Stax Museum of American Soul Music, put it right back in the same space. Cool. It looks exactly how Stax Records looked in the 60s and the 70s. That is so cool. Awesome. But 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 Stax was like the Motown of the South and of Memphis. And, and as you mentioned, I work for WDIA. WDIA broke a lot of the Stax artists here in Memphis. So it was a powerhouse. Yeah, it was a powerhouse. And, you know, when people – I just watched the uh, the movie uh, um, about Aretha Franklin. Wow, what an amazing film. But, you know, people think – people, you know, she was a Motown girl, but she spent some time at Stax too. Yes, yes, yes. People forget and matter that. of fact, Ron, for, 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 your, for your listeners – Aretha was born right around the corner, right around the block from Stax Records. <laughs> and that house is still there where she was born. That's so cool. It's like the Queen of Soul, and I'm talking to about the Queen of Soul to the Queen of Talk Radio. Now, we're going to talk about your career journey, but um, before we get into that, talk to me, because I mentioned at the top that you were, you, even though you were born in Memphis, uh, some of your childhood, you grew up in Ann Arbor. Talk about some of your early memories of listening to the radio here in the Detroit area as a young girl in Ann Arbor. Obviously Motown, but uh, what else were you listening to here? You know what, and I, and I tell you, and I think about this all the time, and living in Ann Arbor and growing up there, I listened to WJLB and WCHB. And 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 the famous the famous CKLW the Motor City. My yeah. goodness, <laughs> that's, that's Ron, where I get all my music from. <laughs> <laughs> right on. CKLW was playing a lot of different kinds of music. Obviously, you said uh, you you were influenced by JLB, but talk about some of the artists that you that you really clasped onto when you were younger. Big Motown fan, so I was a girls' groups fan. My favorite was Martha Reeves and the Vandellas and the Supremes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I fell in love with the Supremes and Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. And matter of fact, you know, we loved them as growing up. We even started a little group in high school. <laughs> we <laughs> thought we were the Supremes. And I can remember the name. Our name was the Gaylets. <laughs> the Gaylets? Wow, that's The cool. Gaylets, right. And we had a little group. And 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 we 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 were hoping that one day we could be a Supreme or Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, introducing you, you ended up in the Tennessee uh, Music Hall of Fame. But I bring that up because um, at, at talking with you for the movie, I learned something new about you: is that you had no intention. To begin to begin a career in radio, you had your eye on television, and although you you did work at, uh, at a radio station at WJSU, I believe that was in Mississippi, right? Yes, yes. My first, yeah, my first, my first job working on the radio station. I was a graduate student at Jackson State University, and as a graduate assistant, one of my duties was to have an air shift and fill in for students who could not, you know, come to work that day. So my first job in radio was WJSU, 
at Jackson State University. And that's, Ron, where I was heard by program director Carl Haynes at WJMI. He offered me a job. He called me one day, I was on the air and offered me a job. And I told him, Ron, oh no, 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 no. I'm going into television. <laughs> I'm going to be a, 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 a newscaster. You, you, a kind news of, you, you kind of sniffed, you snubbed your nose at radio, didn't you? Yes, I did, I did. <laughs> Think about this, 45 years later, I'm still in radio. That's quite amazing, especially the way radio has uh, evolved or devolved, depending on how you talk about it or who, who you talk to about it. But uh, let's talk about the, that that opportunity that you had at WJMI. You work at a, a college station, and I'm sure you have free reign. But uh, what was your what talked about the beginning of your your career there at JMI? What were your responsibilities, and uh, and how was it working at the radio station? That was pr- way before the digital age, so I'm, I'm I'm sure it was quite different than what you're doing now. But talk about that first opportunity you had at JMI, if you would. Yeah, my first opportunity, I started off, Ron, can you believe, as a disc jockey. <laughs> my, <laughs> I'm spinning records, and I, a lot of young people don't know about 45s and 33s. I was playing at JMI. My shift was midnight to 6. And, oh, my goodness, it was so different from the educational station where JSU, we were playing jazz. That's all we played was jazz. So now I had to get in to learn the R&B as a disc jockey. And I remember, Ron, you'll fall out. My first night on the air, I was so nervous. I put the 45 on the wrong speed, 33. (laughs) And my program director called, he ran in and, oh, he got it on the wrong speaker. You know, they were there listening and I was so nervous. But, you know, after that, I got it. And I told, even though, Ron, I still had that news, I wanted to be in news. I told Carl, I said, I still want to do news. I still want to do news. He said, well, maybe you'll get an opportunity to do that. But I started off as a disc jockey on WJMI, midnight to six. But being eventually, yeah, but eventually I was able to move from being a disc jockey and becoming a news reporter on WJMI and WOKJ. What did news consist of at that time? Because you had to find your own news. It wasn't like now. No, it's not like now. No. Oh, my gosh. You, you had to find your own stories. You had I had to get out into the community and get stories from community leaders and people, you had, you're right, you had to find your stories. And I can remember, Ron, back in those days, and, and that was in, in the 70s, I started at JMI in 76, that we had the old UPI teletape where our news wow. came from. I and remember so the we, UPI and the AP had the football poll. That's how I know the UPI, but yeah. Yeah, so we, had, so we got our news also from that as well. And I remember, you know, going to the machine and looking at what's going on in the world, and we that's how we got our news as well. That's cool. WJMI, also your sister station is WOKJ. What, yes. What was your, how, how did you go back and what was it like? Did you do news for both stations? How did that work? Yes, I did. I did news for both stations. Both stations in the morning. I, I in the morning I did a JMI. Then then I would do a OKJ. But I did news in the morning. All right. Well, let's move on because you have several stations that you had stops and from from there you went to uh, I believe WKXI. Talk about your experience yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was I was hired at WKXI as the news director. Moving and, up. Moving and, up. 
Yeah, I'm moving, I'm moving on up the trail. So I was there and worked at WKSI as a news director. Also, I was part of the morning show with a guy called Heavy Herb Anderson. And so we were known, Ron, as Hev and Bev cooking <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So you go from being a reporter, so now you're in charge of, of several other reporters. Um, yes. What was your job? How was your job different? Obviously, you were probably still doing stuff on the air, but how did you, did you find it difficult to balance both of those gigs? No, no, because one of, and as you said, one of the, I'm, I'm in charge of other people and I had people who were working under me. So I do assignments for them. And also I was still doing the news in the mornings, in the mornings, but, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a challenge, you know, and also being a female during that time yeah. in, in the seventies. But I, I made it through, Ron. I made it through. <laughs> Somehow I made it through. Uh, you from there. This is also in Mississippi, but from there you moved to Memphis, I believe. You went to WLLK. Is that correct? And talked about why, yes. why, why did you move to Memphis, or was it the job that took you there? Well, it, uh, they offered me a job, and then I said, "Well, I'll be able to come back home to Memphis." And my mother was still living and still living there. I said, "What a great opportunity!" And WLOK and WDIA were the two black stations in Memphis during that time. And when they offered me a job, I go like, wow, I get to go back home. And so right. I took the job. And so what did you and, do there? And, what did and, you do there? The job I had, I, I was a news reporter. I came in as, as news reporter and I did the news in the mornings at WLOK. You know what I find interesting, especially at this time, it wasn't until the 90s where you know, Rush Limbaugh and sports talk radio kind of revived AM radio. Um, there wasn't really a space to do talk radio. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that now because that's pretty much what you do at DIA. But when you were there at LLK, did you was it just, okay, I want to do news because that was the only thing? Or did you have your eye on maybe I want to do my own show here in a talk format? No, never, never. Always wanted to stick to news, doing the news, going out and get the stories. And at LOK, we did have a, back then, Ron, they called, you know, public affairs show where they did have someone who would interview people who probably the show came on a Sunday or even late in the evening. But I, I never had the dream of doing my own show. I just wanted to stick with news. From your second to third job, I found that that's where I got the most exposure and learn the most was that the case for you the the case well i learned a lot let me go back to to jackson from those stations i learned a whole lot about news so i think i was prepared enough when i came to memphis to go into news never wanted to go back being a disc jockey i wanted to stay stay in news there and it kind of evolved and, and when you hear the story, and I, I don't know if you'll ask me about going to DIA, but, but before I got to DIA, I, I worked at MQM, and there I didn't do news because LOK, we had a layoff, and they laid off people, and I was in the group that got laid off. Oh, man. So I got, yeah, I got this, <laughs> they had the layoff. And so then I got the job at MQM, but at MQM, I ran the board. Okay. I didn't do any news, anything. Just, I ran the board for other people doing talk shows. Was that a little frustrating for you? 
Yeah. Because I wanted to get back in the in 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 into news. And and so happened my next station, there was an opportunity. The guy who hired me at LOK, he was a news director, John Lawson, he said, they're looking for somebody at news at WWEE Radio and WLBS. He said, why don't you try and call and see, can you get an interview? And I said, oh, wow. But that was different, Ron, because those were two white stations. Okay. (laughs) It does WWE. Or excuse me, WWEE and LVS. E-E and WLVS. And, were owned and by Electrolyst. Sam Phillips, right? They were owned by Sam owned Phillips. Owned by Sam Phillips, who, yeah, who discovered Elvis, yeah. A little guy named Elvis. So, I think I've heard of him. So so We Radio was, was all talk, and LVS was all country. Interesting. So what what was your your duties there at uh, at those two? My days? duties there, I was, I was hired to do uh, a newscast. Uh, and in the mornings, I produced the news for the morning shows. And then middays, I did the news for We Radio and LVS. And you're going to love this. At LVS, Ron, guess who was working there? George Klein, Elvis's best friend. Wow. But George talked about him every day. So I learned so much from George Klein about his friend Elvis Presley. That was such a, a, a historical part, not just for Memphis, but for the country. Sam Phillips, what he yes. did there with all the artists and talk. Did you ever get to talk with him or was he a hands-off owner? Yeah, I, I did. He would come in and I would get a chance to talk with him. And it was so funny, Ron. He never got my name right. He always said, Barb, <laughs> you're doing a good job. Barb. <laughs> and I didn't, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't correct him because he was Sam Phillips. I said, yes, sir. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's too funny. Yeah, you you, you got us just you're just happy writes you a check, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he wrote me a check. So that was not where the infamous Sun Studio building is. Where where in Memphis uh, was we in LVS? That was on Mount Moriah. Okay. And 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 Sam had he he owned his own. He built his the station from his building from the ground up, and it was located on Mount Moriah here in Memphis. Did you ever get to talk to him about Elvis and the deal he made with RCA? Because he gets that's the biggest criticism, but I contend that Sun Studio wouldn't have became what it became had he not sold Elvis's contract. Did you ever get to talk to him about that? I, you know, I never did, and I wanted to, but I never get got a chance to 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 talk with him. What do you think you learned from Sam Phillips, if anything? Because I'm sure, like, you know, I would have been a sponge just listening to every word because he's such a part of history of music. Yeah, what I learned is that he was definitely a businessman. He knew his business, Ron, and and he knew his business, and he also knew music. I I knew that. Yeah. And you could tell, and, 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 and he was very passionate, not only about the music, but he was passionate about his radio stations as well. So this is the part of your career that I'm most fascinated with because you have this in common with, you know, when I think of of, of Stax Records, when I think of uh, Sam Phillips, when I think of Sun Studio, I think of Rufus Thomas. And so Rufus Thomas, much like yourself, worked for Sam Phillips at Sun Studio. He was recorded there, but he also recorded at Stax, and he was a DJ at WDIA. We're going to talk quite a bit about DIA because I have lots of questions. I mentioned at the top it's the first black radio station in the country. But after you left we and Sam Phillips at LVS, 
You went to WDIA, I believe, in 1983. Was this lost on you that this station was so historic? Well, you know, I knew about WDIA. And before I tell you that, you're going to love this as well. It's interesting. The news director at WDIA at that time in 83 was John Pittman. John Pittman was from Jackson, Mississippi. He worked, Ron, at WJMI, WOKJ. Well, he left the station, the radio station, to go into television news. That's how I got the job (laughs) in news. (laughs) Wait a minute, how I got the job in news? Because John left to go into television. So Carl says, okay, you've been worrying the hell out of me about news. I need you here Monday morning to do the news because John is leaving. Wow. That That is in, 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 in 76, 77. Turns around in 83, John Pittman is the news director at WDIA. They had a slot open. I applied. He told me send him a tape. Back then we sent tape. John Pittman hired me at WDIA, the man I replaced in Jackson, Mississippi. Wow. Wow. That's pretty extraordinary. So so you get to WDIA, and how did your role change as the years went? Because you've been there, what, 17, 35 years Oh, at now. WDIA? Yeah. I have, been at, I have been at WDIA. This is my 38th year. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So at what point, because you know, it's funny that you're the queen of talk radio now because all you wanted to do was news. So from 83 to when you served in the news department, and, and talk about your transition into doing a talk show. Okay, from 83 to 87. When 87, I started doing the talk show, but I was still doing news. And let me tell you how the, 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 the talk show started. It, we know in 86... Oprah Winfrey came on television with the Oprah Winfrey show. And my program director then, Bobby OJ, had this idea. We can do that on radio. So he said, we're going to do an Oprah Oprah Winfrey show on radio. But Bev, you're going to do the show. And I told Bobby, no, Bobby, I don't want to do a talk show. No, 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 I don't want to do it. I just want to stick with news. He says, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And that's how we started the Bev Johnson show. It was going to be an Oprah Winfrey show on radio, talking lifestyles, everything in life. We're going to talk about it. And and we started that show in 87 because of Bobby OJ. Another Tennessee Radio Hall of Famer, who another person who's in this film. Very cool man. I, he looks so young. He's been around for yeah. a while, you know. He looks <laughs> right. like he's fifty. He looks like he's fifty. Yeah. Um. So, so how long did you continue to do the news before you stopped because it was just too much? Because, especially in the eighties, you know, you mentioned Oprah. Uh, it was it was a, that was when I think if 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 talk shows and radio sports talk shows and regular talk shows flourished in the nineties, it was definitely kind of found its niche in the eighties, and that's when you started. Talk about how you left the news department and just concentrated on your show. Or was that was that something that you went kicking and screaming, or did you like, okay, this is too much? No, well, I didn't go kicking and screaming. I I think as as time changes, you know, Ron, and 
and things changed. So they decide because I, I did the news and the talk show for for years. And I'm I'm trying to recall when did I just stop stop doing the news because you know as we changed owners and uh, managers, they wanted something different. And so they wanted me to concentrate on just doing the talk show. And I'm thinking that I just started doing the talk show only about 2000. Wow. Okay. So you did it a long yeah, time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. About, yeah, about, about 2000 and, and I would say 2005 or six when I just started just wow. basically doing the talk show. Wow, you just you love doing the news, didn't you? <laughs> I love doing the news. I love doing the news. <laughs> well, I don't want to get too. I want to go back and, and talk a little bit about those early uh, renditions of the Bev Johnson show. What kind of topics were you covering? We covered everything in life, from relationships, from politics, from medical, anything that dealt with the lifestyle of a person. We talked about it. When we started, we did more, Ron, relationship shows okay. dealing with, uh, with, with, with marriages and singles and couples. We, d- we did a whole lot of that. Yeah. yeah, but then we started kind of doing, getting more into c- the community. We started talking with a lot of our community leaders politicians you know we started doing more community stuff as well but basically the show is still about lifestyles what happens in everyday life and we've had every kind of show you can imagine at the time especially in the 80s and even in the 90s you you could you you didn't have to necessarily be political uh did you ever find yourself getting in hot water because maybe a certain topic or was that was just anything goes because i know Bobby OJ, you know, he strikes me as someone who's not going to censor many people, but it's all about making good radio. Did you ever find yourself in a situation where, well, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this? No, never have. We always talked about it. And and I think my uh, opinions of certain subjects was not so controversial. I think the, the controversy came more from from the callers and listeners who would call in. <laughs> But 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 I, I was never censored on, on on not talking about anything. I think we were able to talk about everything. You know, we we talked earlier about uh, Motown and Stax, and as we discussed, uh, you spent the the last many years of your career at WDIA. People, I mean, I was amazed that you worked at so many stations before because when I think of Bev Johnson, I think DIA. Uh, again, the first uh, the first black station in in the United States. Can you talk about? How and why, not just because of they being the first black radio station, but it's so much more than that. How and why did WDIA become so legendary from your purview? It became legendary because WDIA was a community station. They did things for the community. And during, and you have to keep in mind, Ron, when, when WDIA first began as a country station in 1947, That's it was all country. Yeah. Yeah, it was all country. And 47, we're talking about we're talking about Hank Williams Sr. We're talking about yeah. uh, you know the the old school guys. Exactly. It was country. And 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 Bert Ferguson, who was one of the owners at that time, 
Uh, I understand they went to a convention and they were talking and somebody told them how they can make some money. And they said, you ought to try to think about broadcasting to the black community. And they, I guess they hit the aha moment. John Pepper was his partner, John Pepper. And they came back and they decided that they would do that. And what they did, well, how are we going to have to get somebody to be on the air? And they, they found Nat D. Williams, who was a history teacher at Booker T. Washington High School in Memphis. And also he was an MC on Bill Street, yeah. an amateur night. So they came up and they got Nat D, who is considered the first black disc jockey on W. He is on WDIA, and it went from there. So in 1948, they changed from country to a black format in 1948. And during that time, and the people that they hired, they were community-oriented. And, and during that time broadcasting to those people who lived in Mississippi and Arkansas, especially in the rural Delta, they got the news, they got the music, they got what was happening in the community. And WDIA began to be known as the Goodwill Station because they helped so many people with their goodwill work in the community. One Another thing that I cover in my movie is when radio serials left radio for television, radio was like, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to play what they called race music back then. And th it seems yeah. to me that DIA just, they were in business for a few years, but it was like perfect timing for what was about to happen in terrestrial radio, because that was, that's when radio changed. I think is when music became the prominent content of radio. Don't you think? I do. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You're absolutely correct. You know, when you talked earlier about, and I could say Rufus Thomas, you know, but as you said, he recorded for Sam Phillips and, and yeah. back in the day. And when you think about, I think, Big Mama Thornton. Oh, yeah. Those kind of people. Oh, my God. <laughs> Am I dating? I'm not dating myself. No. I wasn't rough, but I, I can remember the. Yeah, Rosetta, wasn't it Rosetta Tharp that was the, played the yes. guitar before yes. Chuck Berry? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and you had all this rich, rich history of those singers who were, who were back then. And when you think about it, and, and, and they helped, they helped a WDIA. They, they helped a WHBQ, the, the, the white station that was here in Memphis that people listened to, the, the, the WMC. So yeah, that, that music was, was, oh my goodness. <laughs> And, that and it just, helped the stations along, yeah. It helped the station, But also, you had musicians becoming DJs at DIA. We've talked about Rufus Thomas, B.B. King, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't he a jock? Exactly. Talk about some yeah. of those guys that were there at that yeah, time. Yeah, B.B. King, we, we talk about, we, we, we always laugh and say, B.B. King's real job, first real job. <laughs> and he was a struggling musician, but he, he got a chance to be on WDIA and had a little segment on, and then he was known famous for one commercial he would do all the time about Pepticon. I think they were the sponsors of his show. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, B.B. King and Rufus Thomas, oh, my gosh, yeah, What's who, it? who started – and, and and was on WDIA and 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 you think about WDIA played the BB King music played the Bobby Blue Bland music yeah <laughs> that's from the South yeah and and think about it Ron a lot of 
these artists who came from the South maybe would have not a, not had their music played if it wasn't for a WDIA. Right. And 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 it wasn't just the music. Um, talking to Bobby, he told me you know DIA was like, you know, for I mentioned musicians in the Delta and 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 Mississippi. You mentioned Arkansas. They knew DIA was playing black music or race. They called it race music. They, yes, they, they were playing that music, so it was kind of like a it was kind of like a ma a magnet for for yes. great music. Right. And 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 my understanding is that Elvis listen to WDIA all the time. Right. And and he would show up at functions WDIA they they had a thing called the Goodwill Review and and Elvis would show up there to hear those artists <laughs> that that DIA wow. sponsored. Yeah. 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 Uh, you you mentioned earlier I I, I want to talk about Nat Williams. <laughs> he has the most yeah. famous laugh in Memphis. Um, he was the first yes, black DJ, uh, you know, he really laid the foundation for what was to come. You mentioned JLB at the top of the show. There wouldn't be any JLB if not for Nat Williams, right? You're absolutely correct. And, and it's so interesting. You, 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 you talk about Nat Williams, you know, and, and being the first on, on DIA and, and, and the first for others that, that, that came after him. But also, one of the things, Ron, and I don't know, I've mentioned this to you, but also at WDIA, we had a woman there by the name of Martha Jean the Queen Steinberg. I was hoping you would who, bring Martha Jean up. I know, who, Martha, who left WDIA and got her first job in Detroit at WJLB. She worked also at WCHB and then was able to get her own radio station, WQHB in Detroit. Talk a little bit more about Martha Jean because she meant so much to so many, especially young broadcasters. Yes, she did, and and she was my mentor. Uh, she would talk to me and give me advice, and I and I told her I remember listening to her when she was on DIA when I was a little kid, and then as a teenager growing up listening to her in Detroit, <laughs> she was like my idol. And I understood why she was called the queen because she had grace. She was a lady. She gave out that advice. People listened to what she had to say. And she was community oriented. She worked for the community. And also, Ron, I don't know, I've, I've heard the story that she was the only woman that could cuss out <laughs> <laughs> Coleman Young, who was the mayor of Detroit, he, she was the only person that could do that <laughs> to Mayor Coleman. <laughs> the only one that he would he would let do that, right? That he would let, and you're right that he would let do that. So Martha Jean was also a, a powerhouse as well, not only in the Memphis community but in the Detroit community as well. I have to ask you, as as someone who who was influenced by her before you met her. Did you turn to Jello when you met her? And what was that like? I mean, she became oh your mentor, gosh. but that I, had I to be the, intimidating, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It was like, I'm meeting Martha Jean? <laughs> this is the queen. This is really the queen. And and I I met her the first time at a Jack the Rapper convention in Atlanta. I had heard about her all, the, all these years, but when I first got to meet her, Ron, and you're right, I just melt. I, I mean, I'm going like, I was just so honored. 
And then when we got to take a picture together, matter of fact, I have the picture in my, my house today. And, and every year, Martha Jean would send me a present during Christmas holidays. And just, she was just a sweetheart of a, of a lady. And yeah, and I am still in awe of her. I can't blame you. Um, I, there's a couple stories that I have to ask you about things that I learned while interviewing you for the movie, but, uh, you know, anybody who knows me that my two favorite singers are Paul Rogers from the original Bad Company, but more importantly, Mr. David Ruffin from The Temptations. I think his voice <laughs> is yeah. just, it's unbelievable. And, and unfortunately, I never got to see him. I did get to see The Temptations in Vegas a few years ago. Otis Williams, I think, was the only original member. But don't you have a great David Ruffin story? Please share that. I do. <laughs> he was my favorite. And as you said, Ron, you know, growing up a teenager, you know, us teenage girls, I had a crush on David Ruffin. Well, the opportunity, and I would remember going to the Motown reviews and seeing the temptations of David Ruffin. Well, working at WDIA, doing my talk show, David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks, they were touring together. Oh, boy. So they came to Memphis. I'm sorry, just saying their names gives me chills. It's it's pretty cool. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I know. You're just saying the name, David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. Hendrix. And so when I found out I had the opportunity, they're going to be on my talk show. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I was in awe and my producer then was Fred Hollywood Moore. So we, we were there and David and, and Eddie was in the studio and I'm talking and I told David, I said, when I was a teenager, I had a crush on you. You were my boyfriend. And we were talking and we were talking and we had, he, he was drinking some coffee and he had one of those styrofoam cups and on the styrofoam cup run, he drew a picture of a man and a woman, and he put on there David and Bev. <laughs> I just, I just, you know, just fell out. And then that evening, DIA, we were doing a after work set at one of the local clubs on Bill Street, and David and Eddie were our special guests. And David came in and was there, and he got on the stage and he called me up. And he sung to me. So I, my heart just melted. Oh. So that's my favorite, favorite story. I know of my you boyfriend, David Ruffin. But I refuse <laughs> to let you go. All right. I that's right. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, it's so good that somebody captured the picture, Ron, of David singing to me. That is awesome. You still have that, obviously, right? I still have the picture. I will never, never let that go. One of my favorite, well, the favorite scene I have from that Temptations docuseries they did in the 90s was uh, when, uh, when uh, I forget his name, but whoever played David Ruffin in that, uh, uh, played in that movie when he went to the Fox Theater there in Detroit and they, you know, he took over the stage and scene. You know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah, right yeah. Now. That, you know, the guy, oh yeah, the guy who did that, that was Leon. Leon, yes, Leon. Yes, and you know what? And, was, and I had the opportunity to interview Leon on my show. <laughs> Jump back. How was that? Because you talk about another guy. Oh I mean, my that, that guy's gosh, an amazing actor. <laughs> what did you guys talk about? Do you remember? We, talk, we talked about his career. We talked about, and, and, and during that day he came on, I was doing relationships and we talked a lot about relationships and it's so interesting. And I think later on a year or two after that, I saw him on the Tom Joyner cruise and cool. he said, my friend, Bab, we're talking about relationships. <laughs> I want to be back on your show. <laughs> That's awesome. First time I saw him was above the rim. And that—that's when I yes. saw Leon. Yes, great actor. Yes, 
Great actor. Yes, great actor. Another story that I love, don't you have a Martha Reeves story introducing Martha Reeves? <laughs> you you have a good memory, Ron. Yes. And I already told you one of my idols was Martha Reeves. Well, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas had a gig at one of the casinos in Tunica, Mississippi. And I was the host for that evening. So when I got on the stage, I told them, and I told them people I grew up in Ann Arbor listening to, and I said, one day I wanted to be Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. So I said that on the stage. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. So they came out and was doing their little spiel. And so Martha stopped and she said, where's the young lady that introduced us? And everybody said, that's bad, that's bad. <laughs> she said, I want, I, want, I want her to come on the stage. And I came on the stage. She said, uh, so I understand you wanted to be like me. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she says, do you know dancing in the street? I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so the band started playing. She said, here you go. She gave me the microphone, and I was a Martha Reese, and the Vandellas were singing behind me, and that was so cool. Wow. <laughs> All- she let me sing Dancing in the Streets. <laughs> You know, as some and you're telling these stories, that's a great story. That's that's a mic drop story. That's that's an amazing story that on its own would be simply amazing. But you have so many stories like that. It, yeah, it's all because of radio. How cool is that? It, and, and you, Ron, it's all because of radio. And I would have never had the opportunity to meet all these folks if it had not been for radio. And 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 I go back to this, Ron, and I say that I probably, if it wasn't for my grandmother who insisted that I call Carl Haynes back to take the job he had offered me, because I still was going like, nah, I don't want to do that. Nah, my grandmother says, baby, when someone gives you an opportunity and it's good, take it. And and I, I don't know if I told you, I had I was home for the summer and Carl, because I kept saying no to him and he found me, got my number and called me in Memphis and still offered me that job to be in radio when I would come back to, to school in the fall. Wow. That's awesome. That's all. That's yeah. that's cool. And it's all because of radio. And I'm so glad you didn't yeah. go TV because I can tell you <laughs> just from what we've been talking about today is is I don't think who knows. I'm sure because you're a very passionate, a strong person and you have the drive of a four. But uh, I I'm glad you, you, you made a career in radio. And to that point, I want to talk to you a little bit about the digital age, because if the 80s and 90s were the heyday uh, of radio, um, the digital age, it looked exciting at the beginning, but uh, between the buyouts and everything, things changed. Some say for the worse, some say for the better. I don't know. It depends who you talk to. But talk to me a little bit about how, from your perspective, how radio has changed the most since digital took over in the mid-2000s. Oh, my goodness. And and one of the things, and, and, and I'm, I'm with the folks, Ron, who said it, it, it was for the worse. And, and the reason I say it, is for the worst because it eliminated a lot of people out of their jobs. A lot of personalities, you know, they lost their jobs because of the digital. You know, you didn't need people anymore. And and I, I go back to say this, right? and being in radio, I've, I've seen it from the 45s to the 33s to the cart machines, to the eight tracks, to the cassettes, <laughs> to the reel-to-reel. Right. And now it's digital. And it is something new. I'm still learning. 
And I have to tell you this, Ron, we just moved into our new studios, which is completely digital. Oh, man, I can't. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's completely. And so we are learning that, you know, like Bobby and the people, you know, we're older, so we're still learning that. But I, I hate it because it has taken away so many jobs because it can, you know, stations can run on its own. You don't need a board operator. Right. You don't need that person there. Well, to me, what's worse than so, that but, is, you know, we were talking about uh, you, you started, you did the overnights early in your career. We talk about in, here in Detroit, talk about the electrifying mojo, uh, Alan Allman, all people who worked at night and created that, that theater of the mind in the evening, sometimes after midnight. Not only was it great for people like that, but that was some place that a, a young broadcaster could go in and, and kind of learn the craft. And that has been exactly. taken away, too, you know? Yes, yes. And, and you don't have that anymore. Because you know stations now, all you do have you all you need is one one person to program and put in everything, and and it it will run by itself. Let me ask you this: from a perspective of topics, you know, when you started your 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 career, well, when you started your talk show in '87 at DIA, you talked about life issues. Have you found it? Have you found that it's gotten more difficult since everything seems to be so political? Because that's that's a little shift in 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 our society. Have you found that to be difficult, or have you just embraced it? Because I see from some of the cuts that you speak your mind. You don't you don't bite your tongue. You tell you tell people what's up. <laughs> you know what? I, I I embrace it, but I also it can be difficult in some aspects because. You know, everything, people now are trying to be politically correct. And so you try, you try, I try to do that, but I, then I don't do that. <laughs> so I just try to embrace it and, and just let it go. But I found out as we do at DIA, you know, our listeners, people are going to have their say and we let them have their say. Right. I find from yeah. my perspective, it's, it's sometimes when you speak your mind, it makes people uncomfortable sometimes. Is that? Oh, it does. It does. It does. But you can't worry about that, right? No, you can't. I I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I I go with Ron my truth. That's my truth, and I'm gonna say it. That's all. You awesome. know, you may not like it, <laughs> but hey, it's I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say it. All right. Well, I can't uh, let you go without talking about your induction. I think it was in 2019 into the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. If I'm not mistaken, you learned of that while you were on the air, didn't you? Yes, I did. <laughs> Talk about that. What that was? That must have been a, a you know a head exploder. Yeah, it, it, a young lady, Jama Holmes, who was on the board of directors of the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame, and she had called me one day before this happened, and and said I'd like to nominate you for the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame, and she was talking. I was like. What is she talking about? And I go, okay, okay. She said, well, I need your resume. Yeah, okay. Send me, I'll email it to you. And that was that. I forgot all about that. <laughs> I forgot, you know, I, she called me one day. She said on the air, I'd like to tell you, you have been nominated for the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. And as a matter of fact, you will be inducted into the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame, the first african-american woman i'm like what wow. what <laughs> what wow i was speechless ron and first time <laughs> martha jean can't even say that yeah no wow. she can't she should be in the hall of fame yes yeah, she should she should and and we've been we we're, we're working on that ron we're working on that bobby oj recently got inducted into the hall of fame what a thrill was that for you 
Yeah, that was a thrill. Uh, yes, he did. And, and that happened last year. So now, Ron, at WDIA, as a matter of fact, WDIA is one of the legendary stations in the Tennessee Radio Hall of Fame. And now we have four people from WDIA in the Radio Hall of Fame. Bev Johnson, Bobby OJ, Rufus Thomas, and Nat D. Williams. That's good company right there. That's good company. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um, one more thing that I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that DIA is digital now. There's a lot of different ways that people are running radio stations. Some's all voice track from a different state. What is DIA like right now as far as operating? Is is, is it voice tracked? I mean, do you do your show live? How does that work in 2022 at yeah. DIA? Yeah, we, we st- we're still alive. In the morning, Bobby OJ is live. I come on at 11, I am live, and then the rest is music. In the afternoon, we do have one guy, Earl Augusta, who works for another station for iHeart in the same building. He will voice track in the afternoon, but after that is basically music. But Bobby and I, we are still live, and then we have on Sunday, Mark Stansberry, who has been there, Ron, 60-plus years. Wow. It still does a Sunday show live on WDIA on Sundays. Wow. <laughs> rich on history, rich on heritage, WDIA. Do you have any, I mean, you've done pretty much everything you can to do in broadcasting. What, what, what are your, do you have any goals that you haven't, that you haven't achieved yet? I can't imagine there could be any. No, you know what? That's a good, <laughs> I, I still say, I still want to be on Broadway, but I don't know if I'll be able to do that. <laughs> I wouldn't count you out, Bev. I wouldn't count you out. Uh, With that said, what's next for Bev Johnson? What's next is I'm going to try to keep doing what I'm doing, Ron, as long as the good Lord says so, as long as the people at iHeartMedia will have me there, I will keep doing radio at the historic WDIA, the Goodwill Station. Bev, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, and I will keep you posted on what's happening uh, with the movie as as, uh, as we get closer to its release. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate you. And maybe when I get up to the Ann Arbor, I'll come see you. And when I get to Memphis, I'm going to come and see you. You're such a pleasure to be around. Thank you so much. As we wrap up, I want to thank you again for tuning in. Please share this podcast with your friends. Also, uh, today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, professional photography, maybe you need drone video from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. And again, you can also hear previous episodes of this podcast there as well. Tune in next week for another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. You can't go. All the plants are going to die.